Hi, this is Jan Miyazaki, the host of the Wednesday 8 o'clock buzz. Thank you for tuning into WORT. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a donation at wortfm.org slash donate. It is 8.31, almost 8.32. Thank you to Sarah Anderson for standing by. Sarah Anderson is the Global Economy Project Director and co-editor at Inequality.com, projects at the Institute for Policy Studies. And I wanted to talk with her about her piece posted at Inequality.org, 10 Victories for the Working Class in 2023, from the picket lines to state houses to the White House champions in the fight against inequality. Inequality landed huge wins. I wanted to also know what that meant for 2024. And so it's great to have Sarah Anderson with me this morning. Hey, good morning, Sarah. Good morning to you. Thanks for having me. Um, Yeah. Hey, so, you know, what was the the top victory? What would you consider the (laughs) top victory in 2023? Yeah, well, it was fun to take a pause and and look back at the year. And I I think it was obvious to me what stood out as the most inspiring thing. And that was that 2023 was really the year of the strike. We had very high profile uh, walkouts of the big three auto workers, um, Hollywood writers and actors, hotel workers, healthcare employees. Um, It it was really a a huge spike in these kinds of labor actions. Um, just one factoid on that. In October last year, companies lost more work days to strike uh, than in any month during the past 40 years. So, uh, and the exciting thing was that many of these wound up with really strong contracts. And I think uh, it is a moment where we could see a turning point in the U.S. labor movement that has been in decline for so long. But um, getting energy out of these successful strikes in 2023 to really rebuild. And and there was good news in other ways. Um, what about what was going on um, at Starbucks and Amazon? Yeah, well, those are really tough battles. You know, uh, workers have been trying to organize uh, at Amazon and in Starbucks cafes uh, around the country and have not yet got contracts. But... Um, the NLRB has been um, supporting them in, in some ways and trying to beat back the uh, anti-union tactics of those employers. And so in August, the NLRB issued a ruling that will make union busting harder in cases where a majority of workers have signed union cards. Um, and so under, under this ruling, bosses who engage in unfair labor practices will now be forced to recognize and bargain with the union, even if um, there is not an actual NLRB uh, election. So hopefully that might make it easier for these workers to finally get contracts. Uh, It's just crazy that I think it's, you know, hundreds of Starbucks uh, stores have uh, voted to unionize, but they still haven't gotten their employer to sit down at the table and actually negotiate a contract. And so, just more on that, the um, the NLRB is just getting many and many complaints, right, uh, against these two employers. Absolutely, they've um, they have 240 open or settled charges against Amazon in 26 states for labor rights uh, violations. They have more than 100 complaints against Starbucks, covering hundreds of accusations or threats. 
against union supporters. And so um, we just can't continue to allow these giant corporations to to act like bullies and violate people's basic rights on the job. And, and hopefully um, these workers will get what they're due soon. The um, organizing um, that's going on uh, down at, um, it's the Bluebird Bus Factory in Georgia, the AT&T workers. Can you talk about um, those victories? Yeah, well, I started out with these big inspiring wins uh, by the UAW, by the Teamsters at UPS. These are all really exciting, but we have to remember these were workers who were already unionized, and unionized workers make up, uh, in the private sector, make up only 6% of um, our country's private sector labor force. And so to move the needle on, uh, to build the kind of critical mass of unionized workers that can really help, you know, level the playing field between workers and these powerful corporations the labor movement needs to organize more people who are not yet in unions. And so that's why I made my number two uh, inspiring working class victory of 2023 um, a couple of wins in uh, the South, in areas where a lot of companies are moving in because they know that these areas are anti-union. But there was one really big uh, victory last year at a Bluebird bus factory in Georgia that has nearly 1,000 workers. Um, They're predominantly black workers, and that's interesting because a lot of research has shown that when uh, black workers uh, organize, they tend to be um, especially effective in building that kind of solidarity. And so they won um, a steelworker, the steelworkers won an election there last year. And, um, And then I noted another one that in Three Alabama cities, AT&T mobility workers joined the Communications Workers of America. So these are, you know, a couple of examples in an otherwise you know, very difficult organizing environment in the South. Um, but I want to mention that building off of uh, the UAW victories with um, the big three automakers, the UAW is now also very aggressively trying to move into the South um, encouraging non-unionized workers at car companies, many of them owned by foreign companies like uh, Nissan, Toyota, Honda, Hyundai, um, and uh, really trying to branch out into this uh, non-unionized part of the auto sector. And they claim that they are getting a very positive response. They're getting um workers at these plants to sign cards indicating that they are interested in forming a union and they claim that they are getting a lot of traction. So we'll see if that, if, you know, they really can build on the momentum from 2023 to, to branch out into this non-organized sector. You know, um, you know, is, what do you, um, what accounts for this? I mean, when you see, when you listen to Sean Fain speak, it's just, I mean, you can't help but be saying, well, this guy's amazing. Is it just the, the leadership and the strength of organizing? What, what's accounting for this? Because it is really, um, especially, especially in the South, right, really difficult yeah. to organize. Yeah, well, I am a big fan of Sean Singh, I have to say. This guy came in as president of the UAW, I think, in February 2023. He just came in like a... 
you know, a bull in a china shop, I guess you could say, really shaking things up, um, standing up strong to these uh, auto sex, uh, auto company um, CEOs and, you know, ridiculing them and chastising them for making so much more money than they, they really deserve. And I think he did a lot to build public support for the strike, which I think was critical in getting those leaders to the table. But he was also supported by a very committed um, membership of UAW that feels like they, uh, you know, and, and most working class people have been getting screwed, seeing the CEOs making hundreds of times more than they are when they are, of course, adding a lot of value to these companies um, themselves. And, you know, going through tough times in the pandemic and just having had enough of it. And so it, a lot of things came together in those wins, but I think showing that they could get such significant pay increases for UAW members opened the eyes of workers in the non-union car plants in a, in a way that is really dramatic. And um, one, one sign of just, you know, how seriously these non-unionized companies are taking it is that as soon as Sean Fain announced that he was going to, start going after them and trying to um, win uh, victories for workers in these non-union shops. These uh, foreign companies that I just mentioned um, all raise pay for their workers as a way to kind of preempt um, support for the union. So they are definitely taking this threat seriously, which is a very good sign. And, you know, the UAW and the Teamsters organized together. And, you know, recently, it might have been last week, that I saw that um, the the Republicans were courting the Teamsters. Any, I, and then I didn't really get a chance to track any else, anything else down on that. Um, you know, uh, that's really cynical. Uh, uh, um, anything about that that you're aware of on how successful that's going? Well, Sean O'Brien, the head of the Teamsters, did meet with Trump at Mar-a-Lago, and. Um, you know, that was a different approach than Sean Fain at UAW decided to take. He he made a lot of demands on President Biden that he felt uh, President Biden came through on, and then he, he gave him a very you know strong endorsement. But he, I have to give uh, O'Brien some slack, because let's face it, many of his members are Republican. Um, you know, uh, unionized workers are not all Democrats, you know, like he could have assumed back, uh, you know, decades ago. Mm-hmm. And I think probably what he was thinking was that he was showing respect for a lot of the Republicans in his union by at least taking a meeting uh, with Trump. We'll see where it goes in terms of uh, actual endorsement or not. But, um, yeah, lot, lots of Lots of working class people have moved to the Republican Party, for sure. You know, another place that historically has been union averse territory, you describe as the tech sector, um, cracks there as well. Yeah, I was really surprised um, uh, back in November that the AFL-CIO hosted an event in the lobby of their building here in Washington, D.C., with leaders of Microsoft. And it was because they had been working with them for quite a long time to uh, develop an uh, agreement in which Microsoft has agreed to remain neutral in organizing drives among their U.S.-based workers. 
um, instead of like Amazon and Starbucks, where they are fighting uh, unionization tooth and nail, um, Microsoft said that they would stand back. And if their workers, you know, majority of their workers want to um, go union, uh, that they'll stay neutral on that. And so that could make it easier for about 100,000 Microsoft employees to unionize. And if that happens, then there would certainly be ripple effects across um, the tech industry. You know, the, um, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of thinking about, you know, how, you know, that, 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 that workers represent, you know, such a diverse group, you know, more, you know, both Democrats and Republicans. So in terms of all of this looking into 2024, you know, what is the, what is the, the overriding message? Summarize it, because you are so good at this, Sarah, that, um, and not, because yes, I, I totally agree that I can, I can do that, the, the, the respect there um, by going to, to take a meeting with the former president. Um, so, you know, looking at 2024, how do we build on trying to find shared fate among workers? Mm-hmm. Well, I think everyone should feel like they have a, a role to play in this. Even if you're not a unionized person, even if you're not in a workplace that's going to unionize Unions, I mean, and the research shows this, if you have a stronger labor movement, you tend to have a stronger society in terms of having stronger, um, you know, health care policies, stronger, uh, stronger communities. And in many ways, they help um, stabilize uh, economies. And so there's, we all have a stake in having a strong labor movement here. And I think coming out of the, the big labor victories of 2023, it was clear that public support made a difference. Even if you weren't walking the picket line, if you were um, speaking out, if you were answering polls, I mean, the polling really showed that Americans were behind the the auto workers in that fight, um, that it can change the dynamic and make it much tougher for CEOs, the overpaid CEOs of so many of these companies to just uh, dismiss the concerns of their workers um, because they're, you know, they're selling products to us. They're, you know, they need to operate in an environment where they have broader public support. So I think if you're inspired by what was won in 2023, now's the time to, you know, keep uh, speaking out in support of these unions as they try to, um, uh, organize the unorganized. That is the big challenge um, going forward. And, um, you know, in some places, Republicans are still going to win. But that doesn't mean that people can't pressure Republicans to do some obvious things for workers, like for finally raise the federal minimum wage, which they haven't done since 2009. That's These are not partisan issues. This is basic common sense that people can't survive on 725 in, in these times. So um, I think however the election turns out, we've got to continue to keep pushing for pro-worker policies because they're in the interest of all of us. Thank you so much. I'm speaking with Sarah Anderson, and uh, she is the Global Economy Project Director and co-editor of Inequality.com at the Institute for Policy Studies. And I would 
um, urge you to look for anything that she has written. Um, it is going to teach uh, teach you something and um, enlighten you. So, hey, thank you, Sarah Anderson. It was great to talk with you. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.